Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. And Jason is currently at a church called Cherrydale down in Greenville, South Carolina. He's doing an internship there. He's also, I'm not going to give, actually I am going to give it all. He is also uh, doing some seminary courses at Southeastern Online and working. And his wife is also working, doing photography and some screen printing stuff. So, but they're going to be, he's going to be bringing us the word today. We're going to be back in the book of John. So uh, as you're turning there, let's give Jason a warm welcome to Reach Live. Yeah, you guys can hear me? I wasn't ready for that song this morning. That, that got me. That last one, it was good. It was really good. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, as as James was saying, I we do live in Greenville, South Carolina, and that's my beautiful better half, Melissa. No kids, even though my, my wife went home to her house, and her mom is fighting for them so, so much. She wants some grandchildren, and, and my mom's Constantly, like, hey, can I knit something for you guys this Christmas? Maybe we can get some things together. But yeah, we live in Greenville, South Carolina, where I'm working at the church at Cherrydale as a pastoral resident of City Missions. I get to help with different mission opportunities in the city and throughout the state, and we're also trying to do throughout the country. Uh, my um, my trajectory for for this internship is for us to. Lord willing, go over to the city of Chicago and plant a church. We've been praying about this for about the past uh, six or seven years to be able to go out, and God's given us a huge heart for the city. So go Cubs. Uh, we're super excited about that. Uh, me and my wife me and my wife also lead a, a small group where you guys call missional communities. We lead one of those in our home and love it and are excited to see what God will do as we uh, begin a church with a, a team that we're trying to form together. But I, I tell you those things, are, those are all the great things that God has done over the course of the past few years. But honestly, it, it could sound like, oh man, this guy, he's got it together. He's, he, he's in seminary, he's got a beautiful wife, and he's doing ministry, and he's doing all these great things. But the, the reality of it is, that's, that's not me. My, my story is not that I, I came out of the womb and I was perfect, but my, my story was I, yeah, that was a really weird way to say that. <laughs> my, my story was I was born uh, to my mother and father and they divorced when I was three years old. My dad was a drug addict. I know what it's like to be homeless. I know, all, I know what it looks like to not have uh, my next meal. I know what it, what it feels like to not have a father in the, in the picture and the repercussions of that with struggling with lust and not understanding what it means to be a real man. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and I was going my own way, doing my own thing, thinking that I was okay. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved me, he was gracious enough to make me alive in Christ Jesus. That's my story. I was, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind to all spiritual truth, but now I can see. I, I, 
I had nothing to offer God, but he gave me everything, and he attached his name to my life. So for each of you in this room, as we sing these songs, talking about the mercy and the grace of God, I want you to remember every single day your story of what God has done in your life so that you won't grow cold and stale, and then you can just walk through walk through church and go through the motions and read the scriptures and go through the motions and never really understand what God meant when he said that he came, that you would have life and have it more abundantly. So I wanted to encourage you guys with that saying, hey, I don't have it all together and God is still doing a work. I'm not perfect even today. You can, you can talk to the people who spend the most time with me. They can tell you that I've still got a long ways to go, but he who began a good work in me, he will carry it unto completion. So for all of you guys, that if you know Christ, that is your story. And if you do not know Christ, I pray, I pray, I pray that by the end of this message, by the end of this day, that somehow you would find someone who knows Christ and say, tell me about this Jesus that has changed your life. So that's just a brief introduction that I wanted to, to give you guys. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of John. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. But what I wanted to do, since you guys hadn't been here in a while, I wanted to give a little, little bit of a brief background. Actually, let me, let me pray, and then I'll jump, I'll jump in. God, Abba Father, I, I come before you understanding that I am inadequate, that I don't have anything to bring to the table. I'm poor in spirit, lost without hope. But because of you working in me, your spirit working, because of what you've done on my behalf and what you continue to do, that's why I'm up here. So God, I pray that as I share your word, and share what you would have to to say through your word. I pray that I I would be emptied of myself and that you would hide me behind your cross and that I would constantly proclaim that your, your words are the ones that have power, not mine. So God, I just pray that as I share your word that you would change me even in this moment as I've prepared throughout this week, that you would change me in this moment, that you would change everyone in this room in this moment, that as we meet you where you are in the scriptures, that we wouldn't go away the same, but we would go away looking more like Jesus. I give this time to you. I want to give you your breath back because you gave it to me, and I'm going to give it back to you in worship. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to give us a little bit of a, a brief background as to what's, what's going on in John. Uh, taking a, a course at North Greenville University where I went to college, they gave us a really, uh, a really robust look at thinking through the scriptures and trying to make sure we understand things in context. And what I wanted to do was just read the purpose statement of the book of John to you so that we can remember, okay, this is why he wrote the that why he wrote the book of John. Uh, it says in John 20, verse 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book. So Jesus has done all these amazing things that we've read, and he's done many other things. But he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, and that you may believe uh, in him and have life in his name. So the whole purpose of this, this book that has been written was that you may believe in his son, that you would have life in his name. So I wanted to give a picture of what life is. Jesus said it himself in, in John chapter 17, verse 3, something that's radically changed my life. It says in John 17, verse 3, here's what Jesus says. And this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So all of us, this is eternal life. This is true life. Not that we would get a better car or not that things would go well, but that we would understand, we would know and understand our maker, that we, we would be in intimate fellowship with our maker. He wouldn't just be this God that we read about, this God that is far and foreign to us, but he's a God that's very real, who is just like Adam and Eve. I, what I long for each of you in, in my life Adam, who, who walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, or what we'll read about later on when Moses, it says he met with God face to face like a man meets with his friend. That's what eternal, that's what life is. That's what true life is, is really knowing who created you and knowing him intimately. So as we think about, okay, this is the purpose of this book. This is why he's written it. Now we're going to get into John chapter 12 verses uh, 12 through 19. I'm going to do a read through and then we're going to go point by point. And I promise I'm not going to be super long. (laughs) It says, and the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, that had come to the feast, uh, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, because your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had to be written about him. And had to be and had been done to them. Him, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world is going after him, or has gone after him." So. We're, we're reading this passage, and there's a lot going on. So we, we see here at the very beginning, it says, the next day the, the large crowd had come. So there had been a really, really big crowd that had accumulated uh, because Jesus had been doing some really, really cool things. Like he had come in town, and people were saying, man, these, there's signs and wonders that we would never seen in our lives that are happening. And that, that is a picture of the inbreaking of the kingdom, these signs and wonders that happened. The kingdom of God is upon us when these things are happening. But as we we begin to see, there's some weird things happening. Uh, 
when, when I read this, I was like, man, this, this doesn't quite make sense. Like these words, Hosanna, they just start to yell out praises to God. It says, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So when we, when we read that, it might sound like, oh, this is really nice. They're saying some nice things about Jesus because he's coming in. They want to see him do some, some cool things. But here's really what was happening. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm uh, 118. And it's going to be starting in verse 24. So this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So we've heard that. This is a day. You've heard that before. <laughs> and it says, save us, we pray, O Lord. So if we translate that, but save us, we pray, is that Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. So they're not just saying some random words. They're bringing out some scripture, and they're saying, Jesus, Lord, save us, we pray. Like, Hosanna, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. And then we hear these, we see, read this weird thing is happening. Jesus is coming in, he's, and he finds a donkey to ride on. And that's actually a reference uh, fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus was going to be that coming Messiah who would come. And it's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I'm going to turn to that as well. And I'm just going to read this to you so that you'll understand what's actually happening. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He, his rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your, your stronghold, prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I restore you to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons of Zion against your sons of Greece and wield you like a warrior's sword. So this is a, this is a picture. There's a king that is coming and he is coming to reign. And the people are super excited because they see that Jesus is this guy who's doing these signs and wonders and he's going to rescue the people from their, their hellish reality that they they are under with the Roman government. But what we start to see very quickly, when we go a few chapters later, they, they didn't quite understand. So they, there was this feast that was going on. It was the Passover feast, which if you're not familiar with the Passover feast, go in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were, were spared. They were rescued out of Egypt. And the Lord passed over every one of their firstborn 
because he was trying to get Pharaoh to understand, hey, I'm God and you're not and you need to let my people go. And and when they would put the blood of the, the, of the lamb that they had over their doorpost, God saved all of the, the firstborn in Israel and he killed he killed Pharaoh's firstborn. And Pharaoh finally, after all the plagues that he had experienced, he said, okay, I'm going to let the, the people of God go. I'm going to let these Hebrews go. And ever since then, they would celebrate this Passover feast remembering, but it's also looking forward to this, this one who is going to save them ultimately, and it's the Lamb of God. Now, the reality is he was there. He was in their midst. But what we see is they completely missed it. We go down. We have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Oh, I'll, I'll go to the, to the disciples. They don't play much of a role. But it says that his disciples uh, didn't understand these things at first. In, in verse 16, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had to be done to them. So good job, disciples. You remember the scriptures. You remember that these things had to be done. So you didn't completely miss it all. It would be kind of sad since you were spending all that time with Jesus. But they, they didn't miss that. But then we see the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. We're not, we're not getting anything done. We're trying to kill Jesus. We're trying to get rid of this guy because he's, he's messing up our plan. We want to be faithful to the scriptures. We want to, we want to do our agenda. And they're saying, look, the world is going after him. They've, they've gone after him. Now, on the other side, if we're thinking about that, that's an incredible thing, that the world would go after Jesus. How many times do we have we prayed for the, our schools or our workplaces or our city or our country to go after Jesus. But that's, that's not happening. And then we see the very people who are supposed to know the true king, they're, they're not going after Jesus. So what I wanted for us to do as we, we think through this, this short passage is to look at the three different re- or. There are two main reactions, and then I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and go into the next section. I'm not going to preach from it, but I'm just going to pull something out of a third reaction to the coming of Jesus. So the first reaction that we see, we see the crowds, and their, their reaction is this. They wanted to see a sign. It's incredible when you think about that, because you have the king of kings the Lord of Lords, the one who has the power to raise from the dead, and you want to see another sign. So the crowds gathered and praised Jesus' name, but it's only because they they heard he'd done something cool. And they're looking for a sign and a triumphant leader because what they really wanted, they wanted to be saved from their political the political reign of the the Roman government. They wanted to have their rightful ownership of their land back to them. They wanted to be a free people. But in the midst of that, they missed the most important thing. They missed their savior. They they missed, for the longest time in the scriptures, uh, there was this 
this silent gap to where we don't have anything between the last Old Testament book until Jesus is born. And for the longest time, God did not dwell amongst his people. They, they knew the signs and the wonders before, but then he came and dwelled amongst them. And they said, we want a sign. We, we don't want you, Jesus. We want a sign. We want you to do, we want you to be the one that does what we ask you to do instead of submitting to your rule and your reign and saying, you're here. What, what do we need to do? So we have that first reaction. But my question is, how often do, do you and I see this pattern in our present culture? People are, 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 honestly, people are preached a message that if you come to Jesus, he's going to give you a good marriage. If you, if you come to Jesus, he's going he's gonna to make sure that somehow the bills get paid and things are going to work out. Uh, you, you come to Jesus, you're going to get obedient children, and, and Jesus is going to be that miracle worker, and he's going to do those things. And I'm not, I'm not saying at all that Jesus doesn't heal your broken marriage. I'm not saying that. He, does, he can't do that. I'm not saying that Jesus can't provide a job for you to pay your bills, and I'm not saying that he can't do a radical change in a wayward child. But I'm saying he, he didn't come to to just do whatever you think he should do. He, he came to give you himself and say, hey, you're in my kingdom now. And it's not a kingdom of a king. So when we hear that at first, it, it feels kind of icky. You're like, oh man, like you're in my kingdom now. But this is a king who is a shepherd king. So his, his yoke is easy and his burden is like, he's done all the heavy lifting and he is saying, join me and I will give you life and give it to you more abundantly. So we, we see this with the crowds. They were looking for a sign. They were looking for, for Jesus to do some, something that they had in their agenda, but they missed the Savior. And then secondly, we see the Pharisees. And I wrote down that the Pharisees were, they were stuck in their traditions and their rituals. They're wanting to be faithful to the scriptures but they missed the triumphal entry of the one whom they claimed to serve. Now, this is really an indictment. So we kind of go in, all right, there's the people of God. They're the Jewish people. They, they kind of missed it. So, okay, well, they didn't know the law. They, they weren't as educated enough to know what God was doing in this. Maybe they didn't understand the scriptures. Maybe when they went to the sermon and the synagogue, they fell asleep and they missed that part where Jesus was going to come in and do all these great things. <laughs> But then you get to the guys who not only knew the story, but memorized it. And they, if they were coming up to preach a sermon, they wouldn't even need this Bible or they wouldn't need uh, the Old Testament scriptures in their hands because they, they'd memorized it since they were little kids. But we find that the very people who were supposedly closest to God were the furthest away. And not just the furthest away, but they were pushing other people out because what were they doing? They were doing the exact opposite of ushering in the kingdom. They were trying to prevent the kingdom from happening. They were trying to prevent the king from doing, from doing his work. But the, the good news is, and they're trying to prevent, they actually uh, played into God's plan of redemption. Uh, they thought that they killed him, but 
we, we realize that, that the cross is actually a beautiful picture of the fact that he defeated, uh, he, he does defeat death, that he does defeat sin, and, and, and the, the, the empty tomb is just a picture of us, to us, that there will be a new life, that we won't, no, we'll no longer struggle with the sinful patterns that we have. We will no longer see racism. We will no longer see uh, broken marriages. We will no longer see all these different terrible things that are happening because he went on the cross and then he defeated death and the grave. So we see the Pharisees, they missed the king. And then my question would be, how many times do we see in this present culture, many are missing the work of God because of their traditions and preferences? Those who seemingly are close to God in our culture, have and continue to miss what God is doing because of their preoccupation with their Christian activities. That, that's, that's not an indictment on just one subset of the church. That from, from one end of the spectrum, I hear, oh yeah, those, those older people with their hymns, and they don't want to get in with the new stuff. But you know how many times younger people don't want to listen to what God has, has, has taught the older generation and how they've seen these patterns over and over and over again, and we just think that we know what's best? So there's an indictment across all people with our traditions that we hold on to, our, our preferences that we hold on to, and we hold them to be something so tight and something so dear that when the gospel starts to speak something to that, we, we kind of step back and say, like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to listen to that part of scripture. I don't, I don't want to have to do, I don't, I don't think that Jesus really meant that. That's not my interpretation of the scripture. But when, when we read here, and we see in culture over and over and over again, us being preoccupied with what we think God wants, to do, wants us to do and our preferences that aren't necessarily even coming close to being in scripture, we, we kind of get like that punch in the gut, like, man, you have missed the mark. And then we have our, our third reaction, which is, uh, is, not, is not in the passage. It's uh, a little bit further out. It's in John chapter 12, verse, I'm going to start in verse 13. And uh, the reaction is the remnant is what I call them. In verse, in verse uh, not 13, I'm sorry, in verse 20. It said, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, Sir, they simply asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew, and Philip went and told Jesus, <laughs> and, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
So now we see we've gone through the people of Israel to their best and brightest who know the scriptures and who, who would know that, hey, that, that's the king. To then we finally get to the outsiders, these people who in the, in the Jews' eyes had no place among the people of God. And it's the outsider, it's the, it's the remnant, it's the outsider that God has, has come to reveal. And, the, and this is a beautiful picture because it, that means for, for me and you, unless there's some Jewish people in here that I don't know of, that means that, that God is revealing that his kingdom, he's done it throughout the Old Testament, but even in the book of John, he's revealing that his kingdom is not just for a specific subset of people, but it's people who walk by faith uh, in the Son of God. And for them, we see that they wanted to see Jesus. That's what I'm praying for each and every one of us in this room, that we wouldn't be so worried about the signs of what can Jesus do for us, or that we wouldn't be so worried about our preferences of how we would get things done uh, with the way ministry should go, but that we would simply just want to see Jesus. We want to see him move. We want to see him work. We want to be obedient to what he has to say. Because when you see Jesus, uh, my, my youth pastor had this really great saying growing up. Um, my wife's heard me say it over and over and over again. When people meet Jesus, they are never the same. And when you see Jesus for who he is and he starts to invade your life, there's this, there's this shift, and it's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sing a Christian song and go home. Like, no, every day is a mission with God. Like, you go to Starbucks, and you're, you're ready to be inconvenienced. Like, you, you, you ask somebody, hey, like, how, how are you doing today? And you're not just waiting for fine, and then let me get to my next thing. You actually want to know because you have the heart of Jesus. You've seen Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, if you guys want to clap, you can. <laughs> So as I close, I told you I wasn't going to be long, an application to those of you in the room that long to see these signs and wonders, who want to see a sign from God or who want Jesus. To, and, that's, and that's what you struggle with. Like you love the Lord, but man, like sometimes you can't really see God unless he's doing something. I want to, I want to remind you and, and to push you to one of my favorite passages of scripture. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, it's Exodus 32 and, and 33, so definitely not going to read it all. But uh, in Exodus uh, 32, I'll give you a background as I, as I turn to it. The people of God, they've been rescued. They're in the wilderness. They're doing their, they're, they're doing their thing. God's kind of leading them to the promised land. And they... Moses goes up, he's hanging out with God, and all of a sudden, God's like, wait, what's going on down there? Like, these people are, like, Moses comes down from the mountain of meeting with God, like we said, like a man meets with his friend face to face, and he sees that the people of God have made a golden calf. They've made an idol. It's weird. I don't know why. Like, why would you do that when you've seen the signs and the wonders? You've seen what he can do. You've seen his power. But... Anyways, they decided that they were going to worship a golden calf. So Moses goes down. He destroys it, grinds it up. He, he I mean, he's, he's a bad dude. He, he grinds it up, makes him drink it. It's, it's just, it's crazy stuff. 
Um, but Moses is angry. He's frustrated because like the people have forsaken God already. And then when we get to the, the picture of this, just picture this conversation with, with God and Moses. God is angry. Like, I'm the living God, I'm the king, and you are, these people are stiff-necked people, and they're turning to worthless idols. This is a paraphrase, so. But we get to that conversation, and God is still really, really gracious. And the reason why I say this is Moses understands something that I hope everyone in this room understands. God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to, don't worry about, don't worry about it. Like you're not going to be cast out. I'm going to give you the promised land because I made that promise, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send an angel of the Lord before you and he's going to drive out all of your enemies and he's going to do all of that work. But if I go with you, I'm going to, I, I might destroy you because of you are stiff, you're stiff necked people. Like when we think about that, it's like, well, I mean, God, you're still going to give us the promised land. We're going to get our enemies defeated. Things are going great. Like, what's, what's the problem? And if, that is, if that's the posture of your heart at times of like, man, things are going really good. Things, like, my, my marriage is going great, this, that, and the other. But here's the problem. God said he's not going to go with them. And here's, here's Moses' response in uh, chapter 33, verses 16 through 17. Uh, starting in verse uh, 16, it says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not that you're going with us? Is it not that you're going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, and every, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with us. He said, I don't care how many blessings you throw my way and give to me and say, yeah, I'm going to give you that. Like he, Moses understood this. He understood that the blessing wasn't the destination of where they were going. The blessing was who was with them. So if, if you have to see a sign or God has to provide this, understand that you could turn. And sometimes it'll be really hard. That's why we have community. And you can turn, you can see that God is, he's walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Not only is he walking with, he's carrying you through. And he will, he will carry you to the mountaintops. And we will, we will look back and we'll say, God, you were so gracious. I thought I needed that one paycheck to get me through. But you worked in me in ways that I never thought that would ever happen in this moment, as I was being broken, I was being crushed, I was being formed into something new that I would never would have been if you just had a, answered my prayer to give me this thing. That's a really, really hard thing to say in the valley. But I promise you, as you hold on, as you place your faith and trust in that king that he's doing a work, you will look on the other side and say, Hosanna, Hosanna. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you, you will understand that's a real thing. And secondly, uh, for those of you who are kind of stuck in your traditions and in your ways, 
you think that, oh, man, we have to have an electric guitar on the stage or we have to do uh, ministry this way or we, whatever, whatever it is. If you're stuck in your ways, uh, remember the, the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew 5, 17, he said, but even for those who are kind of legalistic and into like we have to get everything done that the Bible says, because if we don't have this, this hymn here or this there, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law but I came to fulfill it. Like, so you getting all stuck in your ways of what you think that Jesus is supposed to fit in this box like the Pharisees did, that their king was supposed to fit in their box like that. Understand that he, he actually came to fulfill it. And as you look to Jesus, he's going to show you the way that you should walk. And I'm gonna, I just wanted to read one uh, final passage of scriptures in Luke chapter 4, just for those of you who might be stuck in your traditions and, and, and re- forgetting that Jesus is the one who sets the standards. Here's how he fulfilled the law and fulfills it through you every single day, so that you can kind of have a rubric for how you live your life. And Luke chapter 4, verses 18, Jesus he gives his sermon, and it's kind of like a mic drop when he leaves. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, in Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were, were coming from his mouth. So for you who might be stuck in your traditions of how you think these things need to be done, you can look at the ministry of Jesus and say, here's what I've come to fulfill. Why don't you jump on in with me? How about you lay aside your preferences and, and proclaim good news to the poor? And that doesn't just mean people who don't have money. That means those who are poor in spirit, those who are far from God, those who don't know the gospel. And, and set at, at liberty those who are captive. And help those who can't see what God is doing, help them, help them to see. Join God in his mission in that way instead of joining God in his mission your way. So that's, that's how I would encourage you. That's how I would uh, push you as a congregation and push myself. It's to, it's to remember these, this story of, man, unless, unless, the, the, the reward is God. The, 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 the signs and wonders, they don't mean anything, but the presence of my king, that means everything. And my traditions of how I thought things were going to go today or last week or my entire life, they don't mean anything. But what means something is what God is doing right now and what he's calling me to join him in. So I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to invite one of our pastors to lead us in communion.